listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, episode 181. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with a two-time world ex-Tierra triathlete champion and author of the brave athlete Leslie Patterson to talk about mindset as a triathlete in her perspective, what it takes to become a two-time world champion, and her book, The Brave Athlete. Leslie shares her views on what mindset means to her, how she overcame fear and dealt with the adversities during her world championship, and what transformed her to be able to accomplish her achievements and get where she is at today. If you want to know more about how Leslie overcame her challenges in the path to her world championship journey and how to deal with high pressures from being a triathlete, then this is a must-listen episode. ready to raise your game? 2021 is the year to increase your performance on and off the field. The Athlete's Edge Journal was designed to cultivate self-confidence and mental resilience through the power of sports psychology. Whether you are a professional athlete, a former college athlete, or have aspirations of greatness in the future, this journal is for you. Visit winthementalgame.com and use the promo code GRANTPAR20 to receive a 20% discount at checkout. Act now to take your mental game to the next level. What if you could rapidly accelerate your team's performance and skill acquisition just minutes before practice or game? NeuroTrainer triggers high-performance states with virtual reality brain training that can be deployed in the gym or at home. In just eight minutes, your team will be more focused and ready for whatever you or the game throws at them. Visit NeuroTrainer.com to schedule your demo and get your team locked in. Hey, Leslie, how are you? I am excellent, Grant. Great to see you. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, man, it's an honor to have you on my show. And, uh, you know, what the listeners don't know is that we've been trying to get on this show for multiple reasons on both ends. And it's really cool just to keep on keep on keeping at it. Right. And we're here and I can't wait to share your story. I know. I know. Well, you know, there's a little time difference going on right now. I'm in uh, not so sunny and dark Scotland. Uh, so a good few hours ahead. So it makes it difficult. But you know what? We're uh, folks that like to face adversity and overcome it. Right. So. Right. Exactly. And we're going to be talking about that adversity and mindset. Um, and I know that your journey is is all about that. So I'm really excited to, to share that with my listeners. So let's get into my favorite topic, mental toughness. And to be a to be a triathlete, man, not only do you have to have it, you have to train for it. When you think about mental toughness, what does that mean to you? I think, you know, it's it's a very individual thing. And for me, mental toughness means um, having a fear, facing it and uh, overcoming the obstacles uh, to to conquer that fear. Um, that That's what mental toughness is for me. Never giving up. So when you think about like fear, when did you, I could only imagine if, cause you have to be so mentally tough to compete at this level. When did you start having this relationship with fear? You know, I think it was from such a young age. Um, I think I had a big fear of not standing out and not being different 
Um, and I, you know, I've really analyzed, I wonder why that is. And I, I think it's twofold. One is that, um, number four, uh, you know, in terms of fourth child, right. So you're yeah. always the attention by the time you come along, you know, all the firsts have been done and you're kind of, you know, my parents are, are incredible, but not that you're an afterthought, but you're, you're, you're chasing after your other brothers and sisters. Right. So you're trying to kind of assert who you are as a person. So I think there's that aspect to it. And then there's just that really sort of um, fighting against the Calvinistic, Scottish, Celtic, kind of that, always wanting to put people down and nobody can rise above and fighting against that sentiment and wanting to break out. So I think two of those things were innate, innate in me from a very, very young age. Wow. And well, when you think about your whole career, because not only as an athlete, you've done so many things, you've been an author and now you're in film. So there's there's a lot of stuff that you can pull from when it comes to maybe that, that monumental mental toughness moment. Like, can you share like a specific moment within your career where you had to like, just dig in and be mentally tough? There's an absolutely defining moment in, in, you know, my career, my life really. And it's, it's when I ended up winning um, the world championships for Xterra, off-road triathlon Xterra in 2011. And, you you know, there's a couple of things going into that race. One, I'd kind of moved away from Xterra and was doing half Ironman 70.3s and not because I was driven by passion, but because I was driven by how it was perceived from the outside, because, you know, the world of 70.3s. 70.3 in Ironman is a lot more sort of prestigious, gets a lot more kudos and I was quite good at it. Um, And so I'd been kind of following that journey, that, that, that particular season and it wasn't going well. And again, I think that's because I was not driven by passion. I was driven by trying to seek that outside attention. And um, as a consequence, I had the worst race of my life where all my sponsors were watching and I just shit the bed Mm. and it was so awful. And I decided to, to jump back in the world of Xterra and I turned up at, at the 2011 Xterra World Championships that the field was was largely open I had a good chance of doing well at it and I was very very fit and I came out of the swim which you know notoriously in the past has been my nemesis and I really had a great swim I was in pole position feeling great and I'm like oh my god oh my god this is my moment like it was a really profound feeling that came over me and um I I came out of transition and instantly got a flat tire. And I have never had a flat tire in a race before, ever in my entire career. And and it was just one of those defining moments where, you know, I, I had a pity party for about five minutes. You know, I managed to fix it and get in my bike. Everyone had passed me, of course, and I was way behind where I should have been. And I just had this pity party. Oh, woe is me. I'm, it's never meant to be. I was never meant to be. You know, it's, you know, just that real down in yourself feeling. And then I just... I kind of shook it off and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to give it everything I've got. And it is what it is because to come all the way out to Maui, all the way out to Hawaii, be this fit and to not give it everything. How does that help me? And so I just gave it everything and I came off the bike, I think in fourth. And then I ran up into second and I came, I came off the bike off of first by six and a half minutes. Uh, And it's only a 10 K run in in Xterra, albeit off-road. And I ran my way up into second and I I came down the last hill and I could see the helicopter above, uh, you know, representing that the, 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 the lead person of course was, was just ahead. And, um, and I ended up running into, um, hang on, I'm just going to close the door. 
I ended up um, uh, running into into first position in the last half a mile of the race. And it was just totally wild. I mean, it was just what I mean, remember crossing the line and just thinking I could have just given up. And that has taught me the most valuable lesson of my life. Never, ever give up, no matter the circumstance. Man, that's a that's a beautiful and powerful story, because even before you started this race, you you actually had a bad performance. So you could have gave up then. Yes. And so very close. Yeah. And then for you to talk about adversity, and I know that you have been trained, obviously, physically, you're trained mentally. And, you know, when, when shit falls apart, it sucks. And so there is a, there is a moment to be human where, yeah, you get pissed off, you get that negative self-talk. And in that moment, there obviously, it seemed like there was some awareness, like after, uh, I don't know how long you stayed in that, in that negative um, yep. wheel, what pulled you out? Was it your breath? Was it, was it your training of self-talk? Like, what was it that pulled you um, to shift, literally shift? I think, I think it's a feeling. So it's a very visceral sense that I have within myself. I'm a very emotional person. And the reason I do off-road triathlon is because I love the feeling of my body as it moves through the terrain of life, through the world. And it's a very, very special feeling. And when you're pushing yourself hard and when everything feels that good, like you're at one with the world, that is for me is like a form of meditation. And so um, I think I just kind of because I'd been through this journey that season specifically of understanding where my passion was and why my why behind what I was doing. And that had drawn me back to Xterra. I focused on the essence of that. Why, what is it I love about this sport? And it's not the end result. It is not the outcome. It's the process of what I do. And so I think just that feeling of saying, well, I'm going to focus on the process. That's it. I can't control the outcome. I can't control the flat tire I just had. All I can control is the process of going through the motions, the way that I love to go through them and pushing to the edge, the way I love to do that. And uh, that feeling is what, what carried me and made that difference. You know, you talked about your why, um, what, what got you into this sport? Like what motivated you? Like, um, do you remember that moment where you're like, yep, I'm going to be doing this? Yeah. You know, it was, an, it was interesting because, you know, some, some folks might know this about my history, but I started off in rugby. So I started off in an all boys team uh, playing rugby in Scotland and it was muddy. It was gritty. It was hard. It was tough. And I loved it. I loved the dancing around. I loved the movement. I loved the teamwork. And then um, I was no longer allowed to do it uh, when I was a little bit older. And so I had to find something else that could replace that sensation and so I went into kind of fell running, you know, sort of mountain running with my dad. And then he was in the triathlon club. And I think, you know, I came from a, a world of dancing and arts and creativity as well. So going through three different sports and moving your body in lots of different planes of motion and through lots of different types of spaces just felt really aesthetically and sort of viscerally and, you know, kinesthetically nice for me. And I think that's what drew me to the sport. And I, I sense that you're, you're very kinesthetic. Is that kind of your, your primary? Yeah, Definitely. me Definitely. too. I, <laughs> it's, uh, man, I, I, I always say I have these feelers. My tentacles come out. I'm always feeling it's a great thing for emotional intelligence, but it also, it can get in the way sometimes, but, oh, yeah. but as far as what you were talking about earlier about how you can feel 
in sport, man, if you can feel things, you can feel like whether if it's spatial or if it's internal, it's just, to me, it's a beautiful place to be. It is. And, and, and as you said before, right, whether it's emotional intelligence or the ability to self analyze or self reflect is, is a great thing, but, but also a damaging thing, right? Right. You get into that mindset too much, then, then you're paralyzed and you can't move forward. So it's a real intricate balance. Exactly. A (laughs) hundred percent. I've been there. (laughs) You talked about, you know, when you talk about a triathlon, you said your nemesis was, was swimming out of the three uh, disciplines within a triathlon, like what, what's your favorite, like, which one do you, what's your, or what's your strength? Do you know, my strength has always been running. Um, cause that's the background that I, that I came from and, you know, I literally grew up running over the hills of Scotland from a really young age. It was like my solace. Um, you know, I kind of struggled at school, didn't have as many friends as I wanted, just was a bit of an outcast really. And so running for me was that thing, you know, you put your running shoes on and you go out and you can just be at one with, you know, the land and, um, yeah, so running is is a strength, but you know it's interesting. I think just because you're the best at one thing doesn't mean that's the one that you enjoy the most necessarily. Um, and 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 certainly when I've been running well, I have. But I love all the three sports. You know, even although I've not been as good at swimming, when I've when I've when I've been feeling good in the water, it's incredible. It's it's addictive. It's amazing. So you know, I think it just flits in and out, and you love them each individually for their own reasons. Well, when you think about, I think any part of a triathlon, those three sports, you're, it's grueling to train for, for what, especially what you've done. Um, what is your relationship with pain? Oof. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Um, I think I crave it. I think Mm -hmm. I, um, I definitely set up a pattern of kind of mental behavior where I coped with life by sort of inflicting pain. Like I wasn't, you know, not allowed pleasure before you have pain. And of course you have that deficit model. Pleasure is a lot more pleasurable if you experience something of deficit that you don't like. Um, And so I think I've kind of I've, I've, I've had success in life by metering it out like that, you know, um, again, though, that, that isn't always healthy because you seek out pain, whatever, in whichever form. So, you know, it's, it's a good relationship. It's made me successful, but then, um, finding a place of either silence or, 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 um, uh, being, you know, a content is tough. Right. I'm a driver, you know, a, but yeah, it's it, pain is pain is a weird one. It changes. It morphs. Um, yeah. You know, I was talking to a, a triathlete. This is a long time ago before I was doing my show. And he was telling me that one of the things that he used to tell himself as he was feeling pain was that it was just another experience. And I've tried that on like for me, but I'm very kinesthetic. So when I feel stuff, I feel it. Yeah. So while I'm performing, if I'm working out and I'm feeling that pain and I'm trying to move through it, for me, it's a little bit more difficult to say it's just another experience and keep on moving on. So like when you shift and when you're feeling that pain, how do you shift or do you just embrace it and keep that pain with you as as long as you're performing? I think I face the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I give it I give it a voice. I give it a color. I give it a texture. I imagine it, I I sort of go hand in hand with it, I think. Um, And, you know, 
some days that's easier than others, of course. Um, but even when it's hard, I sort of, there's always something good to be found out of appreciating it. So even when it feels really bad, I know that that's changing my brain in some way. Um, you know, the neuroplasticity of the brain, it's rewiring it, it's helping to sort of, you know, improve things, improve tolerance. Um, so I think, you know, no session is a bad session, you know. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think it's just your relationship with it. And I know, especially when it might be different when you're swimming, but I know with biking and running, or maybe I could be com- totally off, but like when you're when you're competing for hours at a time, your mind and body are going to, are going to do, are going to go through things. So yeah. you're going to drop into that, that associative thing where you're, you know, you're, you're connecting with your breath, you're feeling your body, you're feeling your rhythm, your cadence, all that. And then there's times where you need to maybe check out a little bit and take yeah. a break, but keep on going. Right. Is that, is, is that kind of paint the picture of when you're, when you're actually running or, or biking? Yeah. Definitely. And I think really you develop the skills of coming in and out of lots of different states by training in lots of different states. Mm. Um, And I think that's what most people don't quite realize is how much training it takes to mentally be able to cope under any situation that might arise in a race or to master any state that you need to be in. Um, So, you know, whether that's zoning out, whether that's being in touch, um, I think you know, yeah, through 30 years of, of, of training and racing, I've really sort of experienced pretty much everything. So, right. you know, I can have a good sense of that, but, but again, that sort of that adversity, that mental toughness, it comes through training and it's really interesting whether it's coaching athletes or being an athlete myself or talking to other top professionals is that, you know, the resiliency that you build by putting yourself in increasingly tougher situations is just unbelievable. And most athletes, either their coaches are too scared or they're too scared or their data tells them they shouldn't uh, or any one of those things. Um, and they're, they're in my eyes, of course, you need to be aware of all of that, whether that's overtraining or injury, but, you know, pushing to the limit mentally, it just has such massive, massive bonuses to it. Wow. And do you think because that you've trained in so many states that um see if I can get this right because there, there's you have a lot of world champion titles here. <laughs> so, you know, since you, you know, you've won the 2011, 12, 18 Xtera uh, world champion, you also won the, the 2012 and 18 ITU right. uh, cross triathlon world champion. Yep. So, for you to have all those world champions like you have, you have to go through all those states. Is, is that a fair statement? Oh, 100%. And, you know, I've been through some massive swings in performance across my career. Um, and I've dealt with a lot of health issues, chronic Lyme disease, mm. chronic health issues, depression, anxiety, um, you know, chronic injuries, you name it, I've had it. And so, you know, I won those titles 11 and 12 and then had a big break till 18 in terms of winning, right? So, um, and through that time, I literally was in a place where I couldn't get out of bed and had so much pain I couldn't sit down so I've been really to the top of my career all the way to the bottom back to the top and everywhere in between um so 
you know, it gives you just this wealth of experience to draw upon and and, and amazing sort of humble uh, gratitude as well for what you can do. It's like you experience, like, I always talk about range when we, when we experience life, what kind of range do we have? And when you look at all the experiences, all, all the failures, all the successes, all that, like you have so much range. Yeah. Right. It's, it's it's wild. I mean, when I think about some of the races that I've been on the start line for, where I've just been absolutely just either ill, sick, feeling terrible, injured, not being able to run for months, but you're having a race and then you go out and you still win or you don't and people expect you to and you have to sort of justify it without disrespecting your competitors or, you know, um, being in the best shape of your life ever and then delivering. That's amazing. Um, or being in the best shape of your life and not delivering. And that sucks. Mm. Um, yeah, it's fascinating all the different mental states that I've been in, really. Well, when you think about all the, the world champions or championships that you've won, What's the one that that means the most? I know that you talked about 2011 and kind of overcoming adversity in the midst of that, but what's the one that just, that means the most to you? 2012, um, when I won the next year at Xterra Worlds, meant the most because um, my dad was not at the first one, but he was coming to the second one. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a lot of pressure on me on the second one because in the first one, the gal that uh, was in the lead, she collapsed Um, And everyone was like, oh, did Leslie just win because this other girl collapsed? And, you know, there was a big chat about that. And so, you know, I I had my own inner demons. I think the first time you win anything big like that, you second guess yourself almost immediately. Was that a fluke or am I the real deal? Um, And so I went into I had a terrible start to that season and, you know, just was in a bad place. And I really had to work with Sai, my husband, who's a sports psychologist. And we really got back to the base. So again, your why. I got a bunch of buddies. I went out and did grueling training workouts with a bunch of mates. We had a crack and laugh. It was absolutely brutal. And then, you know, I, I worked on my mental game that summer and I came out and that race was to this day the best race I've ever had in my life. It was magical. All three sports, you know, um, it was magical. And I, I, I don't know if I've ever felt like that again. Perfect segue because I, I want to talk about your husband. How how is it being married to a sports psychologist? Um, and then and I know you guys have your own coaching practice called Braveheart Coaching. So how how is that married to a sports psychologist? Good thing, bad thing. And then talk a little bit about your coaching. Yeah, it's really interesting actually because I'd say Simon is is. When he's a sports psychologist, obviously I lecture with him, I see him, I see him work with clients and, and he really is that person, but then he's my husband and he really is my husband. And so I'd say he tends to step forth, step forward more as my husband than as a psychologist, Yeah, almost like he can't play that role with me, but he's more effective as a husband, as someone that just is absolutely in my corner no matter what. And that means more to me. Now, in terms of like mental strategies, I'd say a lot of that, like I'll listen to him, I'll hear what he's saying. He'll help me understand some concepts. But a lot of the stuff, for example, in our book were generated out of my experience and the way that I came to the table intuitively. And then he would put the science to it and kind of, you know, riff off of that. And we built these different concepts based around that. Um, So I think I had a lot 
lot of natural stuff that I did anyway. And then mm. he helped just refine it. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, it's been, but he's just my number one fan. And he had to learn to be a fan rather than a psychologist as well. And so mm. you know, I think he was always just worried about saying the right or wrong thing. And then when he realized that all I wanted was to see my husband on a race course and for him to just have a couple key words that he knew were right for me. And now he just, I mean, he gets so excited and so nervous. And, you know, he's, 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 like a, like a giggle, a little a giggling little girl when I win, you know, and it's just, it's great, you know? Yeah, it's huge. It's awesome. You know, what's great to hear is, <clears throat> especially when I'm, when I'm working with athletes, is like understanding our role and in relationship, because being an athlete, there is a relationship that you have with your sport and training and all sorts of things. Yep. And I think a lot of athletes, what happens is that their identity gets so tied into their sport that they don't know, like what you, your sport is what you do. It's not who you are. Right. And the more that we can understand our roles and we can know in the moment how to switch into the role. So being a husband, being a sports psychologist, that's huge. It's, hard. it's so hard. And one of the biggest things we wrote about this in our book is having an alter ego. And essentially that's what we all do in life, right? We put on different hats and in order to switch back, because being an athlete and especially a professional athlete or an athlete that's very committed is you have a very specific mindset when you're training, when you're racing. And that is a person that you are, and it's very intense. And to learn to switch to Leslie, the wife or so-and-so, the mother or whatnot, um, you know, you have to have, for me, I have to have triggers, that get me into the mindset of that person. And those triggers are, it can be music, it can be food, it can be, you know, a movement, a gesture, it can be a breath, it can be a, a, a physical sort of, okay, I've got a drive from here to here. That's when I switch. Um, because my alter ego as an athlete is very intense and very like, yeah, just like, fuck you stairs, you know? So like, not that nice actually. And it's, and the hard thing about it is, is when you're training at my capacity, which when I've been training at my hardest, it's about 40 hours a week, you know, it's six, seven hours a day, every day. That's a lot of hours to be spending in that kind of mindset. And then when you finish it, you're grumpy, you're tired anyway. It's like, gosh, you're not that nice of a person. So to switch out of that and to actually come alive. And I think that that's something that I'm really appreciating now as I'm backing away from racing is actually to get my personality back, (laughs) you know, because, you know, it's safe to say I lost it. Well, I love it that you brought up uh, your alter ego because not everybody, I believe that you turn into something when you compete, I don't care what sport it is. And that's how you leave who you are and you become and you, you transition in or transform into this role. Right. And so when you think about your alter ego and I love it, man, I, because I feel, I love it when people, when they're like, it's in their eyes, like it's that game face, like yeah. you're fucking going down. I honor you. I respect you but yes. you're fucking going down. Yep. So if you were to like name your alter ego or is there a name? There is. Okay. What is it? Oh yeah. Mine is called Paddy McGinty and Paddy is like an MMA fighter. And so I kind of model Paddy off the Conor McGregor type personality, mm-hmm. cocky, uh, you know, never gives up brash, 
you know, just super confident. Um, I'm not as much of, of a dick, of course. It's more like internal confidence, but there's a certain posture. There's a certain kind of eye contact um, and there's little behaviors that I'll have. Uh, I watch videos of Conor McGregor, you know. Yeah. So there's certain certain things about it, but I've really developed mine for sure. Is there a particular trigger that that every time it goes off, that's do you go into patty mode? Yeah, it's the eye stare. So I kind of ignore people basically and I just look forward and it's just kind of like, don't you fucking even talk to me? Don't you know what I'm doing right now? Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, and I'll get that when I'm training. And it's like, whoa, you know, and I get so like, especially if I'm hungry and tired and say, you know, I've just done, you know, I don't know, hundred miles on the bike and a 10 mile run. And then I'm in the gym doing like single leg hops or something like that. And I'm hungry as all get out. I'm like, oh, when is this going to be done? Then some person in the gym comes up and they just want to yak at you about some random shit. And you're like, I do not care right now. Like go away. Can't you see him in the middle of like trying to balance with a weight and like, and then this is a mindset that comes in. Just get angry. Yeah. I've been there. (laughs) Yeah, I'll bet you have. But it's like, it's hard not to just lash out. Uh, Yeah. And there's times where I've been in, in, you know, competing environments or in the gym, you, you see other people trying to pull people out of their rhythm. And it's like, like, guys, what are you doing? Exactly. You know, but again, unfortunately, I I would say, you know, a lot of people now, especially don't have a lot of awareness, self-awareness. Right. Um, And so, you know, you should read the cues in your environment and that person's concentrating. They've got earbuds in, they're in a moment, like, unless it's really critical that you speak to them, give them their space, man. Yeah. Oh, God. Anyway, it all becomes about the other person and what they need rather than respecting someone else's needs. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and I I do want to say this just because I think that whole transformation, when you get triggered, where you act, you know, you activate this alter ego, you activate the role you're going to get into. I taught myself in junior college, I was playing American football, played quarterback for many years. There was a moment I had to let go of a lot of stuff, like just life and relationships and school and work. And I didn't know how to do that until someone taught me. And it was every time that there was this one piece of green grass on the field on a, on a real, we had a practice field, then we had our stadium, but you had to go through the stadium to get to the practice field. So every time I was touching that green grass, it was like, it would like, I would let go of stuff. And it was just, I was slowly with each step, but just turning into this, this football player and it, and it accentuated it game night. Cause we played at night. So at night, Lights on it. Yeah. Lights and everything. It just like, it was like the spotlight. So every time I hit it, now it became, I could be at any stadium. Didn't have to be my home. And that was my trigger. Every, every green grass. Now, when I work with athletes, I don't care what sport it can be field hockey. I can step on that grass and I get activated. That's hilarious. That's so funny. You know, my trigger, I call it the white line. So, you know, on a road where you have the white line Yeah. and I say, and I say to myself, when I feel like I'm losing my focus, where's my white line? And I feel like that's my power, my, my power once a minute, yeah. you know, it's that, that sort of, you know, like going through time and space or something. Yeah. That's my, I, yeah. I love, that's a great one. I'm going to use that one. <laughs> yeah, where's my white line? <laughs> <laughs> is that, is it, now let's talk about your book a little bit, but is that in your book as well or no? I think it is actually. I don't know that I've actually spoken about that before. Yeah. I don't even know that Cy would know about that one. Oh, so okay. you guys are getting the exclusive on the white line. I love it. I love it. So the brave athlete, obviously 
one of the catchiest lines, the uh, titles, the brave athlete, calm the fuck down. So obviously I, I know why you wrote this song or why you wrote this book, but for you, like, what was the motivation? Like, what do you want the, the readers to get away when they're done reading your book? So I really wanted a light bulb to be switched on about how our brains actually work. Because we set out in the book and we break down the brain mental model. So why is it that we have thoughts and feelings that we don't want? And I think just by using that as a genesis for everything, you know, all of a sudden people go, oh, shit. So it's not just me. And then everyone's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, so so then that person's like that. And it gives this whole new language about how to understand our thoughts and feelings because they're such an arbitrary thing. So I think for us, it was, you know, giving that sort of education piece to people to help them and get that light bulb going and then getting into the specifics of the main things that have been issues for me throughout my athletic career and then those of the people that we've worked with that have kept on recurring and kept on recurring. Um, And we just wanted to write something that was fun, but scientifically accurate um, and that could really just have people not feel alone when they have those shitty moments, whether it's identity-based, whether it's confidence, uh, whether it's body image issues, whether, you know, all of those things. Well, and it's, I love that you're bringing this up because maybe there's a lot of conversation I'm having with athletes right now. So it's fresh to me, but it just feels like your game is going to get tight. It's going to get great. You're going to do great things, but there's going to be times where shit's going to hit the fan again. You're going to fail. And, and it could be monumental. It could be, it could be huge, but, and that's why I talk about training for the moment. Like, cause there's so many moments in what we do when we perform. So you can be the best person in the world at, at this, but how about this moment? You know, or when you just screwed up or you have these negative thoughts, how do you how do you transform back your most confident self? That shit's hard if you don't practice it hard. Yeah. And it's really hard even when you do. But there's, I guess, beauty in the pain. Right. Yes. I love it. You know, it's like I think once you realize that really you're not going to reach any kind of greatness or success without having just a lot of pain and heartache and bad moments, you then sort of welcome those moments uh, or you you appreciate them uh, mm-hmm. and you don't see them as this just awfulness. You know, it's it's going to pivot you into a direction that you could never have imagined. And I think that that's I mean, obviously, it's helping us in our film career, but as story creators, that's the essence of of a story is is you know facing adversity and finding ways to overcome that take you to the next part of the story and you don't know where that next part of the story is necessarily going to come right right well it's well let's let's move into that because i know that you're focusing a lot on film right now what i love about your career and what i love about actually going back on people's careers is is having people having them look at all the skills that they can stack. So it's called skill stacking. And how do you use all those skills to live your purpose? Right. And so with you being an athlete, competitor, author, there's other things that you've done in your life. And now you're in film. Do you feel like you're using all of those skills? All of them. It's massive. I think the biggest, the biggest skill that I'm using and that uh, drives my life is mastery of craft. And it doesn't matter what you're in, whether it's being a parent, being in a relationship, being a professional athlete, 
you know, trying to rise to the top in business, being a screenwriter, filmmaker, mastery of craft. And that's where the passion comes from for, for me, for me. And that's really where I see success being, you know? Um, so for us, it really is looking at the craft at the moment, you know, we're focusing on the writing piece as a way to really get into the industry and it's really learning the craft, you know, it's getting out there, learning all the different philosophies, watching a lot, uh, taking a lot of classes, doing a lot of practice. I mean, when you're writing it really, they call it writing is rewriting. It's understanding that probably the first stab at something is going to be shit and being okay with that. But knowing that that shit is then going to be edited into something that's less shit. And then taking that less shit and it's going to, and on and on and on, you get to this end point. You think, God, I could never have imagined being at that end point when I saw that first piece of shit. And I could easily just say, this is useless. I'm not going to bother. But instead you're like, okay, this is the process. I've learned that through sport. Yes. Um, you know, and then also appreciating that, you know, to, to find success or to um, progress in any industry, it's a cargo net. It's not a ladder. People are going to tell you it's got to be done this way. There's that way. There's this way. There's this way. You're not going to get to the top unless you do it this, this, and this. Just doesn't work like that. It yeah. just doesn't. And I was the same in sport. I had to find my own way to make it work. And it doesn't mean that I didn't take on board, you know, loads of different people and whatnot. But you know, everyone's an individual. You've got to figure out how you work. Um, and hopefully you don't self-sabotage too much or you can have people around you that tell you when you do. Um, but yeah, understanding that and, and, and progressing with it. I love when you talked about like, especially in the creative process when you're writing and rewriting, like where the, the first take is shit. Oh. And my wife always says, she's like, shit makes great fertilizer. And, I, and there's, you know, I think I shared some of my music with you, man, like, People don't understand to, to write some of these things, whether if it is a movie, whether if it's music, you just can't get it done in an hour or two. It's a, it's a hours, days, hours, hours could be weeks. And there's some times where I'll go back to songs. I'm like, man, I struggled on that song for like four days and just kept on. And then I'm so happy that I struggled for four days because it turned out great. But there was so much shit I had to go through to get to that, that final product. Oh, it's so true. And again, that's kind of the beauty of it as well, isn't it? Yeah. You don't appreciate what you've produced until you've gone through that shit. But even when you're going through the shit and it's the same in training, you know, I had many sessions that were quote unquote, I wasn't running fast or I wasn't biking or swimming fast. But even if there's one tiny moment where your foot hits the floor in a certain way and you engage those muscles and you power off and you think, oh, that was it. Yep. Oh my God. Or you get an inkling. <laughs> You know, if I just build that, you know, 0.0001 of a moment and do it again and again and again, I'm going to get excellence or I'm going to find something really, really good. And it's the same with when you're writing a script or I would imagine, you know, writing a song, right? It's one note and you think you can see it, you can feel it. It's not there yet and it's super shit, but you know what? There's something that's going to keep you going. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, I have one more, I have actually two more questions, but before I ask the last one, um, just because this is, and I could talk to you for hours, uh, yeah. by the way, um, this is just because, uh, you know, it's my sports psychology hat that I'm going to put on here real quick. So when you think about all the things you've gone through, um, as an athlete, as an author, filmmaker, uh, parent, when you think of all the roles that you've played, obviously I know that you've done a lot of training mentally. What is the most 
instrumental mental skill or the one that you like love the most that you like to use the most? So mine is a, I call it my crazy day. It's choosing something really crazy that everyone is going to turn around and tell you you're crazy if you do it. Um, but it, it sort of just, it, it forces you to face a fear. Can I do it? You know, so for example, we have a big massive mountain in San Diego where I was training largely. It's called Palomar Mountain. Mm. And it's kind of, you know, it's I can't remember how many miles it is. It's four or five thousand feet high. You know, if you're going really hard, it takes an hour and five minutes or something. But and I thought one day, you know what, I'm gonna do something really stupid. I'm gonna do it three times. I'm gonna do the first time in a big chain ring, second time I'm gonna do sprints, and the third time I'm gonna survive it. And so I did all that and then I'm like, and then I'm going to run off the bike and I'm going to do hill reps, you know? So I just like created this crazy day that was ridiculous and, you know, physiologically probably was just off the charts stupid, but I just had to have this craziness that once you conquer it, you reach a whole new height. So it's like a great session. So yeah, I call them my crazy days. That's great. I, I always, you know, I've heard so many people like, you know, people say do hard shit. Like, you know, do hard shit. And some people, it sounds cool, but they just never, they never put themselves to do it. They're scared. They're scared of what might happen. What happens if they fail? Will they give up? Can they conquer their own brain? Um, You know, you can even do something like, hey, I'm going to, you know, enter my local race where everyone has expectations of how I should do. But you know what? The day before I'm going to do an epic hundred mile ride. So I'm fucking tired before I do it because mm-hmm. I'm going to put myself in a position of weakness mm-hmm. and see if I can challenge myself and just cope with it. Whatever the outcome is, it is. I love that. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So my last question, and I love this because it's reflection. Um, it's, you know, it's how I think how we gain wisdom to reflect on our performances in our life. So when you think about your whole career, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? Um, that I struggle to be content. I'm always striving. Yeah, I think probably probably what I learned or what I would have done differently, maybe that's a different way of answering it, is I would have um, patted myself on the back and really enjoyed the moments of success more and relished them. I was so worried about reproducing the next moment that I forgot to you know be, acknowledge the moment I was in. Wow. Wow. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. That's great. So how do my listeners, how do they connect with you, learn more about what you're doing with your films, buy your books, all sorts of good stuff. How do they, how do they get to you? And probably the best way is through our website, Mm braveheartcoach.com. And uh, you can buy our book on Amazon. Um, You can get the audio book. We actually narrate it, which is pretty fun. So a lot more athletes uh, do that just so they can hear our stupid accents um, while they're training. And then, uh, yeah, you can fill out a form on our website and I'll speak to you on the phone and, you know, I just like hearing from people, you know, no matter what it is, whether it's a crazy health issue or something about film or whatnot, you know, I just like, you know, reaching out to people. That's awesome. Leslie, this, this was, again, I, I could talk another hour. Um, thank <laughs> well, you we'll so much. Are we going to jam in LA when we move up there? Heck yeah, we will. Yeah, I don't play shit, but who cares, man? I'll just come watch you jam. How's about I've got that? a few of them right there. <laughs> Great, I can just watch and learn, man. I love it. Yeah, thanks your your energy and just your breadth of of knowledge of how to compete and how you went through it. Um, to share that with my listeners, it means a lot. Great, anytime. Awesome. 